is the wood, everyone. I'm just going to get rid of all the paper. Thank you, Jesus, that we're in the house of God tonight. Amen? Hallelujah. As we were singing that song, Look What the Lord Has Done. I was just thinking, you know, sometimes we feel like, you know, we're in a bad situation or whatever. But that song says Jesus is still the same. So if we look at what God has done... And we know that Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to get us through whatever we're going through today. And if he doesn't right now and here in this moment, eternity's on its way. And we're going to have a, we have a hope. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, tonight I want to talk about Hannah. Hannah was uh, in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. She was married to a man named Elkanah, um, who was, had another wife, um, which they all seemed to do in those days. Uh, by the name of Panina. And from the scripture, it looks as though Panina had quite a few children. She had sons and daughters. And Hannah, on the other hand, had no children. And uh, we pick up her story. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 4, if you want to turn there. They've journeyed, um, the whole family, to where the Ark of the Covenant is so that Elkanah can bring a sacrifice and worship. It was law to do that once a year. First Samuel chapter 1. Samuel chapter 1, starting at verse 4. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she, the other wife, provoked Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Tonight I want to speak from this thought or this title, The Gift of Desperation. We'll just pray. Lord God, we're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that God, you do dwell in us, Lord, that we don't have to bring a sacrifice once a year, but God, every day, every moment of every day, Lord, we can find you, God, we can seek you and you are there, Lord God, and you never leave us and you never forsake us, God. Lord, I just pray tonight that you would anoint my lips, anoint my mind, God, anoint your word that as it goes forth, Lord Jesus, it would find good soil. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in everything tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Desperation. Desperation is the act of despairing, the state of being desperate, the recklessness of despair. A person who is desperate is a person who is on the brink of hopelessness or the state of being hopeless. And Hannah was a woman who was in the brink of hopelessness. She so much desired to have children. And yet for some reason, verse 6 of the passage we read says that the Lord shut up her womb. We can see from the scripture that her husband kept the law and by going to Shiloh each year to offer a sacrifice 
And so this would not have been the first time that Hannah and the rest of the family had travelled there. Each year they would come to Shiloh, and each year, Hanina, Elkanah's other wife, would taunt Hannah and would try to irritate Hannah into making her unhappy and discontent with the fact that she had been denied children. No children again this year, Hannah? See all of my sons that will carry the family name to the next generation? You must have done something wrong, Hannah. You aren't a very good wife. You can't even give your husband children. Hannah says in verse 7, wept and did not eat. Such was her grief. And I'm sure many of us can speak of times when we've been so upset and overwhelmed that we cannot eat because of either grief, frustration or worry. And as she probably did every year when they came up to sacrifice, she came before the Lord in the temple and brought her desperate cry before God. Verse 10 says that Hannah was in bitterness of soul. She was so overcome with grief and she prayed and she wept. Hannah was at a point of desperation that made her cry out to the Lord with such a fervency and intensity that it seems had not been there before. She prayed so intensely without even noise. It was a deep prayer from within groanings that Eli the priest assumed she was drunk. Many of us would have heard the old saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. And I've used the saying myself on many occasions, most times in a joking manner. And I was thinking of one of the times I would have used that and it would have been, you know, I've been counting five cent pieces from my piggy bank to see if I can afford a McFlurry from McDonald's. This is considered a desperate time in my life. Many people, though, however, throughout history have had to perform real, serious, desperate measures in desperate times. And it's something that we joke about, but there are many people in history that have had to do some pretty crazy things. One man, um, you might have heard, I think they made a movie out of him and his story, but one man, he was lost in a very remote part of the USA in a national park, and he'd fallen down a crevice, and as he had fallen, a, a rock had come and hit his arm and had pinned it to the wall of the other massive boulder. And no one knew where he was. He hadn't told anyone where he was going. It was in a very remote place, and it didn't look like he was going to be rescued. Um, he was going to die. So when you're running out of options, the most extreme options become viable. That's what happens in desperate situations. Like this man who cut his arm off with a dull pocket knife, which is what he did to save his life. It saved his life. An extreme measure. No painkillers. There was a man in World War II who, after hearing about the horrible things that were going on in the concentration camp called Auschwitz, was, uh, he volunteered to be imprisoned in the camp so he could secretly collect important information that would help the Allies win the war and then escape. And his desperate measures in these desperate times helped the Allies win World War II. And these are just two of many stories. You know, I googled, you know, people that did awesome things in history. And there's just heaps and heaps of people, some well-known, some not well-known. But they went ahead and performed desperate measures in desperate times. And many of us, if not all of us, have found ourselves in a desperate situation at one point or another. And we may not be offering ourselves as spies in a war or having to physically cut off a limb, thank you, Jesus. But each of us would have at one time or another felt like we, like Hannah, at the brink of hopelessness. And we would at those times not think of these situations as great moments. 
Like Hannah, we may have felt such incredible grief that it was like we were actually carrying around a heavy physical burden. Or it may have been an uneasiness or an unsteadiness that made us want to hide away in the dark and not come out. But tonight, I want to maybe help us see these times of desperation in a different light. To see that desperation can actually be a gift from God. What? Are you serious? Are you seriously saying that my despair and my hopelessness is a gift from God? That God would actually allow me to get to this point in my life to feel so dejected and beyond help? If you remember, in the scripture we read, it was the Lord that shut up Hannah's womb. It was the Lord that made her barren so that she wasn't able to have children. And yes, God actually does sometimes allow us to get to a point of such hopelessness. But the thing is that God does not allow us, allow these things to happen for us to stay in that place. He doesn't desire that we sit in our hopelessness and our self-pity and just allow it to take over our lives. If we turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he, Jesus, went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. This was a man in a desperate situation. They didn't have organizations like Vision Australia. They didn't have different operations that you could have to fix your eyes. In those days, there was no one to support the blind. If you didn't have family, and even if you did have family, most of the times you had to fend for yourselves. And blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road just begging. Every day, he sat in the dirt and the dust of other people's feet as they walked by, begging, asking for any change that they might be able to spare so he could survive. A man who was really just sitting there waiting to die. Until one day, one day after I don't know how many days, weeks, months, years, that this man had sat in this same spot asking for money, someone came walking by. And there was a commotion that blind Bartimaeus did not understand. And so he asked someone, what's going on? What, what can I hear? And someone tells him, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now he could have, after hearing this, just sit in the dust of the crowd and continue to ask for money. After all, there was a great number of people he could have got lots of money that day that he could even be able to survive having a few meals for the week. But no, Bartimaeus has had enough of this life. He'd heard stories of people being healed by this Jesus. Some of his friends may have been ones that were once blind and now saw. It was his turn. He could have continued to just wallow in his pity, but Bartimaeus was desperate. He was at the end of his rope and he was a desperate man. And desperate times call for desperate measures and verse 47 of mark chapter 10 says and when he heard that it was jesus of nazareth he began to cry out and say jesus thou son of david have mercy on me he didn't just speak in a normal voice and go oh can, can you just go get jesus for me no he yelled and cried out jesus thou son of david have mercy upon me there was a commotion. There was a, a massive group of people there. He had to yell out and cry out, God, I'm here. I'm here. I need you. 
And the crowd hushed him. You're a beggar. You're the scum of the earth. Why are you troubling this very important man? Just hush up. A beggar doesn't just call out in such a fashion when important people come by. In fact, they're to be more discreet and quiet. They're just a drain on society. They don't do anything for the community except take their money. And yet this man was desperate for a change. Desperate enough to forget about what the people were saying. Desperate enough to ignore what society thought should be his behaviour. This was a desperate time that called for an extreme action. And instead of accepting the crowd's rebuke, Bartimaeus all the more yells out, "Uh, uh, 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 uh. No, this could be my only chance to be healed. I have sat here for years and years and I am sick of it. I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of being tired. This is it. Jesus, don't pass me by. I'm here. I'm desperate for you. I need your mercy. And verse 49 says, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Blind Bartimaeus was no longer blind no longer blind. In our time of hopelessness, in our time of confusion, frustration, loneliness, whatever it is, when we feel like we are at the end of our rope, when we feel as though God is nowhere to be found, this is the time for desperate measures. As I said before, God doesn't bring us to this point of despair and hopelessness to just leave us there. He wants to see if we're willing to cry out to him, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. I need you today. I need you more now than ever before. And I cannot go anywhere anymore without you. Mark 7 tells us the story of the Syrophoenician woman, a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit. And we also read that Jesus had gone into a house so as to be alone for a while. And yet this woman still found him. He was trying to hide. He was tired. But this woman found him. She was not a Jew. And so coming to Jesus in this house and approaching the master was just not done. This was against tradition. But this woman was sick of seeing her daughter overtaken and possessed by this spirit. And she had heard that this man was able to help. I'm not meant to go in there. I know I don't belong in this part of town. I'm not even sure that he'll help me. But I have to try. Desperate times call for desperate measures. In another account of the story in Matthew, it says that the woman came and cried unto him, saying the same words as Bartimaeus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. I need you, God, right now. I have heard that you could be the promised Messiah. And even if I'm not meant to be here, I need you. And as she cries unto Jesus, the disciples tell him to send her away. How dare she disturb us? But her cry did not stop. And they weren't just little sobs, but in desperation, she's fervently crying out to God. I'm here. Help me. But Jesus didn't say a word unto her. How many times have we gone to the Lord and cried out in desperation and felt as though we've not been heard? 
But instead, Jesus speaks to his disciples. And he says, I have not come to these. She is not one of mine. I've only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet, even with these words, the woman comes and worships him, saying, help me. Again, again, the Lord speaks and practically insults the woman. It's not meat to take. It's, it's not appropriate for me to give you the children's bread and practically calls her a dog. And I think if I hadn't left now, I would have, by now, I would have left then. I would have walked out at that point. But so desperate was this woman's situation. So in need was she that she replies and says, True Lord, but even the dogs, even little me, a Greek, someone who's not promised the Messiah, can eat the little crumbs that fall from the master's table. I know you may not give me the full loaf of bread, but oh, how I need even just a crumb. I am desperate for a change. I need something to change in my life. And because of her desperation, Jesus finally said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Have the crumbs. Your daughter is made whole. Hallelujah. Society would today say that the way that Jesus spoke to this woman was completely inappropriate and not politically correct. And, you know, when we read that sometimes, we kind of, it does, it kind of grates us. We don't understand it. However, Jesus never came to follow society's rules and regulations. And we don't always understand the way Jesus deals with us and with our situations. We may feel that it is not how things should be done. But maybe, like in this account, Jesus is testing our faith. Jesus was, Jesus was seeing whether or not this woman was humble enough to accept such a lowly position as a dog. Was she really desperate enough? Remember, when you're running out of options, even the most extreme options become viable. Things that you may not have done, responses you may not have accepted before become accepted. Even with the disciples right in front of her telling Jesus to get her out, just like Bartimaeus, she was not affected. This woman did not allow the disciples and their request to get her out of the house to affect her desperation. And there are countless stories in the Bible of men and women who have found themselves in the most desperate of situations and in their desperation found a savior. They were not deterred by the opinions of others. They weren't swayed by what was supposedly appropriate behavior. They weren't even turned away from what sometimes seemed a harsh response from the Lord. Instead, those things made them seek after God even more. Their desperation was so deep that it didn't matter the obstacles or the mountains in front of them. Their minds were made up. I must get to Jesus. I need him more than anything else. Anything else, more than the air that I breathe, I need him. Back in 1 Samuel, we read that Hannah's husband gave her a worthy portion of the sacrifice. And most commentaries suggest that because of Hannah's situation and struggle, it means that her husband gave her either a double portion of the uh, meat or the better portion of the meat for her to eat. And the state of desperation is not always a pleasant place. Actually, it's probably never a pleasant place, really, to be. But it is in our desperation that God is able to bless us more abundantly. It may not be the thing we desire, but above the things we desire, above the answers to prayer, God's presence is what we really need. It is his spirit and his closeness that we feel so much more richly and intimately in times of desperation. 
Desperation leads to a deeper intimacy with God that we may not reach in our relationship with him if we are not in that situation. And we hear many people testify of a time when they went through a real dark valley in their life. And it was in that time that they felt nearness of the Lord stronger than at any other time. David penned in Psalm 23 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. That even in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a banquet. A banquet, not just, you know, bread and water, but a banquet lavished. And my cup runs over. Not just enough, not just to the top, but it is an abundance, a limitless flow of God's anointing and provision in the darkest of our days. We also read in the story of Hannah that she made a promise to the Lord. In her desperation, in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 1, we read, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and thou shalt no razor come upon his head. God, please hear my plea. Attend to my cry. I will give you back this child, if you will please just give me my heart's desire. And many times we, in our desperation, promise God something, if he would just give us what we desire. And in verse 27 and 28, after Hannah is actually received her miracle she's had her son she remembers her promise verse 27 says for this child i prayed and the lord hath given me my petition which i asked of him therefore also i have lent him to the lord as long as he liveth he shall be lent to the lord and he worshiped the lord there she remembered her promise to god and she does not back out of that promise she offers samuel back to god And so it was that Samuel ended up ministering in the temple and growing up in the presence of God and became a great prophet. When we cry out to God in desperation and tell him anything, Lord, anything at all, just more of you, the Lord may just come knocking one day to cash in on our vow or our promise. Brother Simon only spoke a couple of weeks ago about sacrifice. Desperation quite often causes us to sacrifice other things for the desire of something else much better. Let me say this. Anything that we offer to the Lord, anything that we give up or that we sacrifice is not worthy to be compared with the things that God so abundantly wants to pour out into our lives. God's favor, his spirit and his presence is life to me more than anything I desire God's presence to be continually in my life. In Bartimaeus' desperation, he cried out to God. And when someone turned to him and said, Come, Jesus wants to see you. He did something that in the scripture seems to be just a passing comment in the account, but no scripture I know is just there by mistake. Verse 50 of Mark 10 says, And he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Many of us would read over this scripture and just think, yep, he got up and went to, God, went to the Lord and got his miracle. But I believe there is a significance in this verse that shows us what we must do when Jesus calls for us, when we are desperate for him. He cast away his garment. What would have dragged him down and prevented him from getting to Jesus quickly was thrown aside. In our desperation and despair, we must throw aside all those things that so easily weigh us down. We know the story of Mary and Martha and how the scripture describes Martha as being cumbered about much serving. 
Meaning Martha was weighed down with so many other things. One thing drawing her this way, another thing drawing her that way. And I don't believe Martha was specifically doing anything wrong. But she was so busy with so much stuff that she did not choose the good part as Mary did. Mary was just desperate to sit at Jesus' feet. Who cared if there was a pot of tea brewing or not? Or that there was a fresh cake in the oven? Or whether the house was clean for their guests? Mary just knew that she had to be in the presence of the Lord. And when we come before God in desperation in our hopeless situation with nowhere else to turn, God ministers mightily in our lives. And as we get up from sitting at his feet, as we come away from the altar, so often we wrap our smelly old garment back around us. If we are truly desperate for the presence of God, desperate for God to do a work in our lives, we cannot continue to carry around old laundry. Hannah, after she had desperately called out to the Lord, after she had intensely prayed for a child, she got up from her place of prayer and it says that she went her way, she ate, and her countenance was no more sad. She had made her petition known to God and was now entrusting God with her desperate plea. She wasn't going to pick up the old laundry. She wasn't going to mope around, but instead she was going to continue serving God with all of her heart and trusting him with what she had cried to him for. Bartimaeus cast away his garment before he received his heart's desire. Before he received his miracle, he had already in faith cast away the thing that had identified him as a beggar. It was now time to leave it all behind so that God could see and minister to his desperate heart. And that is what we must do. Paul said that we must lay aside every weight and sin that easily besets us so that we can run. If and when God delivers us from our despair, we must not continue to walk around with that despair, with the old things that identified us as a hopeless man. Why keep them? Why keep the mess when I am delivered from them? They had to stay in my past as a reminder, but not in my present to weigh me down. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 says, Paul speaking, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Only this morning, Brother Simon spoke about the pillars we build in our lives and what bricks we use to build up the kingdom. And he gave the example of Paul and how if anyone could have built a statue to himself or a monument, it would have been Paul. And yet we read here in this passage that the Lord allowed something in Paul's life to stop him from becoming proud and exalting himself above measure. And the meaning of this portion of scripture, this thorn in the flesh, has been debated by many theologians through history. And we don't know specifically what it is. Some think it was a physical ailment, others of a more spiritual nature. But whatever it was, Paul was desperate to get rid of it. He sought the Lord at least three times that we know of, asking him to remove this infirmity, this thing that so often afflicted him. And yet we read that after his desperate pleas to God, he receives this response from the Lord in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
part of verse 10 says, For when I am weak, then am I strong. It is worth noting in verse 7 that Paul says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. God gave this thorn to Paul, allowed it in his life. It was given to him, implying that it was a favor. Paul regarded it not as something of cruelty or as a bad thing, but as a gift that had been bestowed upon him that came with benefits. Quite often, God will allow things in our lives, not because he is a cruel God, not because he gets a kick out of seeing his children struggle, but it is out of a desire to see our desperation move us, to take extreme measures to get to him. Desperation is a gift from God that he bestows on us. It may be a physical pain, a difficult burden, some struggle, some incredible anguish in a secret place that we hold, whatever it is, if it drives us to him frequently, sometimes with loud cries like Bartimaeus on the side of the highway, other times with deep groanings inside like Hannah as she prayed to God, whatever it is, if it drives you to him because you feel your need for him so desperately, do not look upon it as a curse. Do not resent it. God may just be giving you a gift of greater mercy than you know. It may be your deliverance from the cares and the weights of this world. Paul learns throughout his life that when he cries out to God, God will intervene in one of two very powerful ways. Sometimes God powerfully removes the crisis, the thorn. Sometimes he heals the person we love, resurrects a marriage, restores a friendship, or sends a mysterious check in the mail. He shows up in our desperation and delivers us from it. But sometimes God does not deliver us from our desperation. Other times he walks with us in those desperate times with a sustaining grace and power that we so often underestimate. Desperate times call for desperate measures. If your desperate time and desperate situation calls you to pray until your knees are bruised and your eyes are swollen shut from crying, if your desperation calls you to a place of deep and utter surrender to the will of God, then the Lord may not take away that situation. God desires us to be completely abandoned to him with an attitude of, you're all that I want, God. You're all that I need. We sang this morning, Christ is enough. Everything I need is in him. And it is a lack of a sense of desperation for God that can be so deadly. When we become complacent and comfortable, Brother Simon just said before how what a, what a privilege it is to come into the presence of God and worship and pray and know that God is here. We don't have to wait once a year like Elkanah who came up and offered his sacrifice every day. If we don't feel desperate for God, we don't tend to cry out to him. We begin to have a love for this present world that so subtly sets in like a spiritual leprosy damaging spiritual nerve endings so that we don't feel the erosion and decay happening until it's too late. And I know the Lord has been dealing with us as a church and specifically with me as an individual over the past month about walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. This morning we heard about being willing to submit the flesh to the spirit, being dead to sin and the things of this world. Not just when we were first saved, but every day as we walk with God, walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit. The other day I was speaking with a friend about how often we struggle day in and day out trying to overcome the flesh 
but we don't allow ourselves to become desperate for God. We try to fix it on our own. And I don't know about you, but I try to do it in my own strength, in my own power. And yet how often are we taught in Scripture that it is not by our strength, not by our power, or anything else in us that can overcome the flesh. It is only through God's presence dwelling in our lives daily. It is only in our desperation for Him that we can live an overcoming life. If we turn to Luke chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and is um, sharing a parable. Luke chapter 18. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his justification down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted the publican knew the man that he was an unclean man a man that so often falls so short of the glory of God and yet he's desperate for God's power in his life he couldn't even come right into the temple and wouldn't lift up his eyes because of the guilt and the shame that he felt, he smote his chest, an expression of his grief and his anguish in view of the sin in his life. And he cried, God, have mercy upon me. Just like Bartimaeus, just like the Syrophoenician woman, he knew that more than anything in the world, he needed the mercy of God. How often do we come to church to our time of prayer with God, to our relationship with God, and we act as though yeah, I'm all right. We walk around as though we have it all together. You know what, church? It's okay to not have it all together. God does not turn desperation away. He's not afraid of the mess, our shortcomings. In fact, he welcomes it. It is in the mess that he can work. He didn't come to this earth for the people who never fail or fall. They don't need God. He came for those who stumble. He came for those who are lost and alone. David penned some of the most desperate prayers in the book of Psalm. Raw, honest, desperation for God. Words like, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's honest. Have we ever felt like that? Why are you so far from saving me? My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning, my strength fails. How often do we feel like that but we, we think we can't say that out loud? No, that wouldn't be right. But David had raw, honest, desperate prayer before God. And he knew what it was not to feel the presence of God, to not feel like God was there with him in his trials. But you know what? It didn't turn him away from God. Rather, it turned him to God. He hungered after more of God, not less. And he says in Psalm 42, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth 
for God, for the living God. And Psalm 143 says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. And he writes in Psalm 51, that very well-known passage of scripture, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And God, whatever you do, Whatever you want from me, whatever desperate situation you allow me to go through, whether it is your doing or whether it's my own sin, take not your spirit from me. If I can have a musician, please. Tonight you may be faced with a situation you can't seem to get out of. You may be facing a problem with what seems like no solution. Hannah didn't have a solution. You may find yourself at the end of your rope, trying to do it in your own strength trying to live a life that is pleasing to God through your own power and ability. Can I say tonight that God has given you something precious, a gift that we would normally turn away from, something we would probably reject and discard if we were given it wrapped in a box with a ribbon. It's the gift of desperation. Maybe, just maybe, God is passing by tonight as he was on that highway and all he's waiting for is Jesus Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Maybe just, maybe he's just waiting for you to cry out in a desperate plea. Help me, God. I can't do this on my own anymore. Maybe just, maybe he's waiting to pour out an incredible portion of his spirit and of his favor upon you. And all he needs from you is to show some desperation. God, I can't do it on my own. I'm sick of always falling and failing you over the same things. I don't want to live my life this way anymore. More of you, God. More of your love. More of your power in my life. More of your presence. God, that you would increase and that I would decrease. Less of me. Less of my will. Less of the Emma in me. And that your spirit would reign. I'm desperate for you and you alone, God. Don't try to avoid desperation tonight. In the process of trying to avoid it, we insulate ourselves from the blessing, the power and the presence of the almighty God in our lives. Desperate times call for desperate measures. It may mean stepping out of your comfort zone, out of your complacency, out of your self-pity, and going against everything that your flesh tells you. But don't turn away from God tonight. Come to him. David wrote in Psalm 63 early, Will I seek thee? My soul thirsteth for thee, and my flesh it longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land. Are you in a dry and thirsty land tonight? Long for him. I long to see your power and your glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Tonight, God is looking for some desperate people. He promises in his word that if we draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to us. He's just looking for some desperate people that are willing to maybe do something that's not normal for them. In a desperate time, hallelujah.